You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown pass of the day! Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's edition of the podcast, we wrap up the training camp preview series. And the next time you hear from me, we're going to be breaking down a Miami Dolphins practice. That's on Wednesday. Today, specialist, interior defensive line, the D-tackles. And we'll also hear from Dolphins punter Jake Bailey. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. And right before we get started, a little bit of news coming into the podcast today as training camp is set to kick off tomorrow. Uh, some players on and off PUP is the news of the day. Teron Armstead will be heading to the physically unable to perform list. So will tight end Tanner Connor and fellow offensive lineman Isaiah Wim and Ethan Bonner, the undrafted rookie out of Stanford, will be coming off the NFI list. That's your news ahead of training camp. Nick Needham was already on PUP, so that gave us four players. Needham, Armstead, Connor, and Wynn on PUP, and Ethan Bonner coming off the NFI list. We're going to kick off this podcast with the specialist before we get to Jake Bailey, and then we'll conclude this thing with the defensive tackles at the very end. And since specialist is a pretty short list here, let's go ahead and ride right through it. Number seven, Jason Sanders. It's kind of funny. I, I view kickers kind of in the same vein as a relief pitcher in the sense that their misses, like a run allowed for a relief pitcher. And look, Jason will be the first one to tell you that he's got to make more of those shorter kicks next year and just be higher percentage-wise in general. But I think that we often get caught up in the misses and forget about the successes that position can have among those misses or bad games. But the truth is that Jason is still 83% in his career making field goals. He's made 16 field goals of 50-plus yards. And what I like the most and I think the analytics trends agree with me here on this, is that most of those misses are from that range, like 11 from that range versus 15 under 50. So 49 and under kicks, Sanders is 88% on those kicks from under 50 yards in his career. Same as the last two seasons where he's 45 for 51 career uh, in that distance. And so in an era where going for it on fourth down, we saw Mike McDaniel last year, fourth and six, fourth and seven, didn't really matter. Some big conversions, a touchdown on a fourth and eight play in the season opener. Seems more and more like offenses prefer just to go for it because if you miss, the opposition is not in scoring range. You give your defense a chance to get a stop with a first down or two allowed and keep them off the scoreboard. And you also give yourself an additional play and a chance to extend the drive and put yourself into more sure scoring range and not giving back field position by losing seven yards with a missed field goal from that distance. So it's nice to have it in your back pocket, but I think we'll probably see more and more as we go along, fewer and fewer attempts of 50 plus yards, unless it's 
end of half, end of game, fourth and a mile, things like that to prevent you from going for it because you're not going to punt from there in this day and age. And I think that when you look at Jason Sanders inside 50 yards, he's almost automatic. And again, you're going to probably think about a chip shot miss last year against, was it the Bengals? I forget what game it was. A PAT miss here and there. Like He's been pretty good on those most part in his career, but I think that people really get bogged down in the few misses the kicker does have. But for the most part, Jason Sanders has been pretty lights out. And I think as this offense gets better, hopefully you have fewer drives that stall out in that 50 to 60 yard field goal range. And you can just trot out Jason Sanders from under 50 yards and basically know you've got three points in your back pocket. And from 50 plus, he's going to make a lot of those as well, even though recently has not been as consistent as he was early in his career. I just think that you look at a kicker like Jason Sanders, who works his butt off, has really good you know, technique and fundamentals and same consistent stroke every time. He makes every damn kick we watch out here in practice. I just think that you have a lot of reasons to be excited about Sanders and a lot of reasons to expect to kick less field goals because converting higher first downs and uh, you know maybe you're more inclined to keep the field on the offense like we saw so much last year, especially in that week one game against the Patriots. But consistent stroke, never misses in practice, has that game winner in week 18 to break a playoff drought from 50 plus. And that was part of a three for three day on a day where we had to have every single point we got there to make the tournament. So Jason Sanders back as your place kicker. Number 16, Jake Bailey, new punter, new punters, an All-Pro the same year that Jason Sanders made the first team All-Pro back in 2020. Now, he dealt with some injuries last year that only allowed him to play nine games in that season. He's been one of the best at flipping the field and pinning opponents deep over his first four years, all with the New England Patriots. He averaged just under 46 yards per punt with a net of 41 and a half in his career. That's really good. And for a team that really struggled last year to win the field position battle, hopefully that can improve this year with a healthy Jake Bailey. He, of course, has competition with number 49, Michael Turk, who, honestly, this is going to sound crazy, but he stood out more than just about anybody in rookie minicamp from a physical standpoint because his legs are the biggest legs I've seen in a long time. He is built like a house. He's the nephew of former Dolphins punter Matt Turk, two years at ASU, last two years at Oklahoma, 47.2 punting average, 179 career punts, plenty of kicks in his career. And then the guy snapping the ball on all those kicks, number 44, Blake Ferguson. Look, I've made it abundantly clear. I know nothing about the intricacies of long snapping, but it's Blake's fourth year here. And some low snaps last year that kind of got picked up off the ground, but never got away from the holder, right? Like consistently puts the ball in the, in the holder's hands. And that's all you can ask for there from the long snapper. So that's your specialist. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and hear from Dolphins punter, Jake Bailey. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by auto nation. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, may could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What's up, guys? Travis Wingfield here again. 100 yards, Jake Bailey, new Dolphins punter. Let's go ahead and make way down the field here. So uh, new to the city, new to the area, how you, how you fitting in so far? I love it. So far, I'm from San Diego, so I'm used to nice weather, warm weather year-round. And so I love it. Haven't been a part of July and August here yet. <laughs> so 
seeing what that's going to be about. Gets a little bit toasty. Yeah. Just a little bit. They got a landing pad for you somewhere around here for the uh, highest <laughs> license? I, I think I could probably land on this field. You think so? Maybe. How much? How Only much, one way to try. How, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so tell us more about that. Obviously, we're talking about the fact that you have your pilot's license and you get up there quite a bit, right? So how did that come to be? Yeah, I started doing it in college. Um, my dad had his pilot's license and my grandpa did as well. He flew for the Air Force in Korea and flew for, flew for TWA Airlines too. Um, and it was just something I kind of really wanted to finish this offseason. He passed away like six months ago, so it was something that it was like this time for me to finally get it done. And then one of Keon Crossan is also, he just got his done as well. So it's fun, you know, we'll be the safest team playing in the, <laughs> this year. Got a couple of backup pilots. Yeah, something happens. exactly. Uh, Do you guys talk about that much? Awesome. Yeah, we, we went flying the other day together. Oh, cool. We went down to the Keys. So it's so fun and just easy. Do you, do you land in the Keys? Yeah. Really? Yep. Is it a pretty, pretty tight space? No, it, it was totally normal. I mean, the runway's only oriented with the road because there's not much yeah. space so you're you're definitely going with the road but yeah it, it was it was fun so you again mentioned that you're new to the area here you said you spent some time over in uh, oakland park right was was where you're hanging yep. out at anything that you're uh, recommending to folks that are new to the area uh i've gotten allegria tacos <laughs> i like that place up there uh obviously it's a good mexican food if i'm from san diego i gotta oh, right. find the best mexican spot and then uh Blake Ferguson, the snapper, showed me Greek Islands Taverna. It's another good good spot. There you go. Two spots for you. So, so. almost here, almost to the 10-yard line. This is where you want to be, right? You want to be into the 10-yard line, yeah. down teams right yeah. here. Uh, Why did you choose the Miami Dolphins? Obviously, free agency brings you options for the first time in your professional career. Why the fence? I love the teammates down here. I've played against Blake and Jason for many years. Um, I like the coaches, and I like the weather. What's the key to putting a punt right here? Uh, having great gunners that can come down and catch it and make sure they save your butt. Smart man. Jake Bailey, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm not really sure why this played out this way, but we finish up our positional previews with the interior defensive line. Usually I work from front to back on the defense, so I'm not sure why that happened, but that's what happened. We pick it up here on the interior defensive line with a Dolphins group that once again, It's another position group that just has name after name of really, really accomplished football players in this league, on this team. And number 92, Zach Sealer, who for my money is one of the most underrated, underappreciated players by the Cagnacenti in the entire National Football League. Consistent no matter what the role is. We've seen him produce in more of a rotational role. We've seen him, you know, play that 25 to 30 snaps per game role in that rotational spot. And this past year, that went way up. And the production stayed pretty much the exact same, like uh, prorated to the same level of snaps and, and production in terms of tackles and sacks and all that fun stuff. And that's not just playing time. Like it's a positional thing too. We've seen him dominate as a backside one technique, a true even front three, which is, you know, off the outside shoulder of the guard. 
the, the one technique off the outside shoulder of the center, even play some five technique, which is a defensive end position off the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle and set strong edges in the run game there and produce as a pass rusher. I always go back to the absurd stat that he shares with Mario Williams and J.J. Watt. Essentially, these are the only three players to have workouts where they hit certain thresholds in height, weight, length, 40-yard time, shuttle, broad jump, uh, vertical jump, all the metrics that measure size and explosiveness with a great combination of those two things, which Mario Williams and J.J. Watt both had phenomenal careers. Zach Sealer's putting together a pretty damn good career of his own right. His was a pro day workout, so not combine because he didn't get invited to the combine out of Ferris State. But that company he keeps there speaks to his physical prowess. You know, my guy Seth on the fish tank, Loves to call him a grown-ass man. That's another uh, reference to Seth and the fish tank, and there's a curse word in there, Seth, so I apologize that all the references lately have been about cuss words with my guy Seth, but it tracks. I mean, he really is one of the best short yardage run stoppers in the league. I can think of at least five plays off the top of my head where it's third and fourth and one, and third or fourth and one, I should say, and number 92 for the Dolphins is in there making a stop to get the ball back to the offense. Like him and Alandon Roberts were the short yardage mavens, man. He was consistently showing up in ESPN's run stop win rate. Pro football focus loves his game and not just the arbitrary grades, but the tangible black and white statistics like run stops, a stat that measures tackles on run plays that produce what's considered a victory for the defense on that given play. Like, Less than 40% of the yards to gain on first down, less than half on second down, and then third and fourth down, obviously. Did you convert or did you not? Win or loss there. Wilkins led the NFL with 58 of these plays, run stops. Second was 47. Third was 44 with Zach Sealer. This prompted me to do some research and eventually tweet this all out, but I went back and looked all the way back to 2006, which covers the entire pro football focus era, which also covers the year I graduated high school, so it's basically my adulthood. Uh, the last time a tandem of defensive tackles or you know defensive line for that matter, because both Wilkins and Sealer play multiple spots, and so does one of the guys we're about to mention here, was 2006, and the Patriots had that threesome of Wilfork, Warren, and Seymour. Remember those guys? They were there for like 10 years, it seemed like. Well, Seymour had the pass rush prowess, but Wilfork and Warren combined for 103 run stops in 2006. That's the last time that a tandem had more than 100. Wilkins and Sealer, 102. Almost 20 years ago, in an entirely different era of football, where running the ball was still more of a prevalent thing. So Sealer, the length to stack up and lock out, to then shed blocks and give his defensive coordinator the opportunity to call even or, or odd fronts, one gap, two gap responsibility. It, he keeps all of that on the table in your playbook. Like All the play sheets are available when a guy like Zach Sealer is on your front, especially when you pair him with Christian Wilkins. Excellent, excellent player, and one that I enjoy watching as much as anybody because I'll never forget when he was that waiver claim back in 2019 and being like, hey, I think 92 down there, I think he's pretty good. And I remember his game against the Bengals, that wild overtime game. He had an absurd stat line, like five pressures, four run stops, two TFLs, a, a pass batted down just a well of a game and Kevin Dern and I my buddy from uh he works now I think with or does a podcast with the Dolphins talk crew that we were there covering the game for locked on Dolphins and got a chance to talk to Zach after the game in the locker room and he just kept getting better every year all the way up to 2022 when he set career highs across the board 877 snaps 344 more than his previous high at 77 percent of the team's total 70 combined tackles, three and a half sacks, 12 QB hits, two forced fumbles, four passes defensed, all of those bested or matched career highs for Zach Sealer. What a heck of a player he is. From a grizzled vet to a rookie, number 93, Anthony Montalvo from UCF. 
Long-winded on Zach to a very intriguing undrafted rookie here. That means we don't have the extensive resume to cover, but this is a player who was very, very active at UCF, something of a game wrecker, and and does have that extensive resume at the college level. Over 2,000 career snaps, 52 pressures, 67 run stops, listed at 6'2", 284, and longtime friend of the podcast here, Noah, my buddy, uh, UCF grad, Golden Knights, go Knights. Uh, He's going to love seeing Anthony Montalvo compete for a roster spot on this Dolphins team. Number 94, Christian Wilkins. We touched on his game and his accomplishment in that sealer portion, but I think the part about Christian that fascinates me the most, and he shares this with Zach, and also if you talk to Coach Austin Clark, he'll rave about how much he loves coaching this room because of how those guys and Raekwon have worked over the years. It's just kind of the standard around there, but Christian's process-oriented method is always fun to learn about. It's very regimented, very strict on those standards, and it's worked very well for him. He's physically gifted as hell. He's smart as hell. He maximizes both of those elements of his game. The same thing I said about Zach applies here. One gap, two gap, hold the point, penetrate, play every damn snap. Over a thousand snaps last year for Christian Wilkins. 1,022 snaps. It's absurd for a guy in the trenches playing that many snaps. What more can you say about him? Top run stopper by production, both via PFF and ESPN metrics. 58 total pressures, including the playoffs. Uh, run stops I should say 33 quarterback pressures just a dominant dominant player go back to his games in December watch that tape he was unblockable man the Chargers game was one of the best I've ever seen by a defensive tackle ever he had four pressures and five run stops that's nine play like nine very impact plays he made within that game from there he just here's his pressure totals four two 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 one and three and then the run stops were five three 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 like He made multiple plays every single game, played his best ball down the stretch when he had already racked up, you know, 800 or so snaps at that point of the season. He's so dang good at reading the initial flow of the play and picking his spots where he can go hunt big plays, but also do his job and stay on the block when he needs to. I can't say enough about Christian Wilkins. Number 95, Josiah Bronson. Loved his work back in OTAs and excited to see how he follows that up. You look at this room and you've got three proven guys and then four guys hoping to follow those footsteps. Bronson was dominant at UW, spent time in 2021 with the Saints, Browns, and Cowboys before landing with us last year. He's played a handful of games and has 12 career tackles as a pro. Number 96, Brandon Peely, undrafted rookie from USC. You won't find higher effort tape than Peely. He's flying all over the field, showcased really good conditioning all year. He has two seasons of 500-plus snaps in college. Doing that at 345 pounds at USC is, is really impressive. That's 12 games, nearly 40 snaps per game. To reiterate, that's a size and position that typically does not get that much run. Usually it's like 20, 25 snaps. But now he's on our roster, listed at 320, so that's probably a little more accurate description, actually, which goes back, again, to the dedication that I'm talking about. Some serious body transformation there in terms of dropping that weight. He's the kind of player, and rookies typically are, that I think you watch and see how they progress from you know day one to the last day of camp. If that's a, a big jump for him, then you want to keep that guy around, see what he can do you know, throughout that rookie year, heading into a second year. I think you'll get a chance to see him really get better over the next month here. Number 97, Jalen Twyman. Bronson and Twyman were two of the biggest winners at OTAs I had, and I just thought they both made splash plays regularly, and that just means there's an opportunity at camp. Like Once you do well in OTAs, it gives you a bit of momentum heading into training camp, and that allows you to keep that ball rolling and eventually maybe make the roster come September. I remember Julius Wormsley 
back in 2016. Just every day he was making plays. And then the uh, preseason, he was unblockable. And it's like, he's, you can't keep that guy off the roster. And sure enough, I think he started the season opener that year in Seattle. Like he was, you can do that. It's possible. People don't know these names, but every year someone's going to make a case and push and push and push and play well enough to get on the roster and, and you know, get playing time. So both these guys, if they can do that, they're on futures deals. Uh, Twyman's six foot two, two eighty five, out of Pitt in twenty twenty one, sixth rounder of the Ravens. So he was drafted, has not yet made his NFL debut, but he was injured in camp that rookie season, which probably is why he didn't get a chance there. Number ninety eight, Raekwon Davis. We finish up with the big man on campus, Mister Raekwon Davis. Pterodactyl wingspan checks in at six foot seven, three hundred thirty five pounds. I thought he took a step with his pass rush a year ago, which man, if you ever get like freshman year Raekwon pass rush on this defense in that position. Whoo, buddy, watch out. In the past, Coach Fangio has asked a lot of that nose tackle role, and I think Raekwon's made for it, at least to give you 25 or 30 snaps a game. His ability to hold the point and clog things up, it's not going to produce numbers, which, again, that's that fan perspective idea in terms of the actual impact, but you can have good games where you have just a tackle or two or maybe one pressure. Uh, he had 14 pressures and 13 run stops last year. There's your evidence to that fact or to that thought. But I think that his biggest growth, in addition to more pocket collapsing, was he his missed tackle rate dropped pretty substantially. Pro Football Focus had him with just two last year out of those 32 combined opportunities. When he gets his hands on you, typically you don't get free. The room as a whole really has a penchant for playing lots of snaps, getting their hands up in the air, dominating obvious run situations like short yardage, setting a standard for the entire team with how they work. Again, just go back to Coach Clark and how he views these guys. Uh, This is one of my favorite rooms to watch the entire team. They've been productive. They've been durable, steady. Those top three guys, uh, you know what you're going to get there. And hopefully going into this, you know, after camp, we have identified, you know, four or five total guys, two more guys that make you feel really confident about where this team is going to go on the defensive line. I think you'd also be crazy to not feel the same way about the defensive backfield. And we saw the big addition in the cornerback room this offseason. And we heard from both Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard today uh, as the Dolphins reported training camp and had our first media availabilities of the brand new football season. And we first heard from Xavier Howard, who talked about the energy coming into the building and what the kind of just vibes are around the roster, around the team as they get ready to embark on this journey with, you know, some expectations from pundits and experts alike. So Xavier Howard was asked about the energy of guys and kind of how their temperament is heading into this year's training camp. Here's the Dolphins' longtime star cornerback on vibes on day Man, one. I feel like you feel the energy, though, when you come into this locker room. And I feel like guys walking around here, like, they got to get stuff done. You know, I don't feel like nobody comfortable being here or being in the position they're in right now. And I feel like you got to have that, especially being here. You know, there's a lot of great guys on this, on this, on this team. And I feel like it, from pressure there, I feel like it's a lot of pressure from there. I know it's broken record at this point for me, but it just goes back to the type of player they've brought in from a character standpoint and personality and makeup and all that stuff because you do get that sense and there's a right way to do things and they seem to have really found the right players to execute the right way to do things on top of being very, very talented football players. Let's go to the newcomer, Jalen Ramsey, who was asked what makes him most optimistic about this year's defense with all the retooled pieces, new defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Here's Jalen Ramsey. The whole, the whole defense really... Like I've been a part of this defense for the past three years, so um, I kind of know how to play it. I know what's needed to play this defense um, and be one of the best defenses in the league and be elite, and we got all the pieces, you know, edge rushes, the secondary. Then we got the, you know, we even got the linebackers and all that. So um, I look at 
like I said, I don't compare, but I look at the other teams I've been a part of, and um, I feel like we, on paper, we stack up well, but the work comes first. With your experience and knowledge of this defense, do you kind of feel a responsibility to be almost like a coach on the field for the rest of the guys that maybe are new in the system? Yeah. Um, I don't like force it, though. If they, you know, if they need my um, help or guidance or if I see something that can help them or guide them, then I'll give them my input. But everybody can kind of figure it out their own. And people like figuring things out on their own. And that's what uh, OTAs was for. And that's what training camp's for, to kind of figure some things out. You can't, like, micromanage or baby grown men through stuff. Like, we're going to get it. We're going to put the work in. That was really the theme of Jalen's press conference there. I left the question from yours, from yours truly in there because didn't think I needed to explain the question. Just go ahead and play it for you. But that was the theme, talking about putting the work in and how this time of year is just about getting ready and not really putting any expectations or thoughts out there, just getting yourself in a position where you've done the work to know you can be ready for the season once it comes around. We go back to the offensive side of the football here and finish up with Raheem Mostert, who was asked about kind of, I guess, his trajectory of his first year here in Miami. And I've, I've talked at length about this. Going back and rewatching the games, Raheem was a different player in December, like running through tackles and averaging really good yards after contact. Several forced tackles missed in every single game he played up until that injury in Week 18. And I thought his performance in that Jets game was... Without his performance, I don't know if the Dolphins make the playoffs. So Raheem really found his stride before that unfortunate wrist injury or hand injury, uh, whatever that was that, that cost him the playoff game. But he was asked about being two years back removed from the knee injury. Really good perspective here from Raheem Mostert about coming back off an injury and getting more and more comfortable with your body again post-surgery, post-recovery. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you come back from an injury, um, the first couple months is, you know, it's almost a mental game. Um, and that was the case for me. I was in a little bit of a, a slump because I didn't know if I was going to re-injure it, you know, if, if the game was going to be a, a different pace than I'm, I'm anticipating or, you know, normal to. But um, once you start getting that groove and feeling yourself, I mean, you see towards the end of the year, I was starting to uh, gain, gain more confidence. Even, you know, Coach Stews even mentioned that too. So uh, a lot of errors I was making early on, and then I started honing in on my craft a little bit more feeling more comfortable and then, you know, it was, it was time to go. But, you know, like you said, coming into year two is definitely a little bit easier, um, especially the fact that I'm not thinking about the knee. You know, my, my focus now is solely on uh, improving my game and how can I be elite at the top, um, you know, upper echelon of the running back game. So um, that's my main focus now. You guys know one of my themes I've covered here on the offseason has been the second year in this offensive system and continuity and how that might benefit the offense as a whole. I asked Raheem about the continuity and relationship between a running back room that is largely the same. Obviously, you drop in a couple of rookies there with Chris Brooks and the obvious one, Devon A-Chain. Offensive line, similar. The opening day lineup from last year is all back, and I think probably projected to be in those positions unless you know somebody unseats left guard, right tackle. We've had that conversation many, many times here on the show. But in large part, the continuity between running back and offensive line couldn't really get more continuous. That's the right word for that. But I wanted to ask Raheem how he felt that helped the running game and the blocking game. But he kind of took it a step further and talked about the offense as a whole. Here's Raheem Moser on offensive continuity in 2023. I mean, the continuity is, is just going to get more and more um, explosive. And, and you're going to see, uh, even with a guy like Tua, you know, um, him settling in for his second year. I know uh, in previous years he was had a new offensive coordinator every year he's been in the league, but to be able to finally hone in on, um, you know, the, the second go-around on the offense, I mean, the sky's the limit, you know. Um, 
I've been in situations where I've had a, a offensive coordinator come in um, and then be gone the next year, and then um, another offensive coordinator come in, and next thing you know, you know he's here for another year, and it just got you know revamped. The offense was just better, moving more fluently. So, you know, I, I trust Mikey that he's going to get the job done and calling the correct plays and doing what he has to do as both the head coach and uh, you know the coordinator, but um, and Frank and everybody else in in the offensive side of the ball. So. Um, the continuity is going to be there. It's going to be uh, great. I already know it, um, and I'm I'm truly excited about it. So you heard Raheem allude to Tua Tungavailoa's position in the offense, and so the follow-up there after that question was about Tua and his growth of leadership, and we know about that. We've seen it firsthand, but I wanted to get this anecdote from Raheem in here because he talks about kind of some of the workouts in the summer and the offseason and how Tua has demonstrated his leadership and uh, ownership of the offense. Here's Raheem on his quarterback and the leadership of the 25-year-old QB. Growth and leadership standpoint, you know, comes from, I mean, that, he's natural at that. Um, but now that he's starting to take on that role of truly getting everybody in the right position, doing what he has to do. I mean, I was throwing with him a couple weeks ago um, with um, a lot of different guys, and he was just on point. You know, just the way he, he tried to have everybody aligned and made sure that, hey, look, Raheem, I know you don't play this position all that much wide out, but you have to be right here at this point. So that way I, when you break in or you, you know, um, you have an in-breaking route, then I could throw you the ball right on time. And, and it's just just to see the maturity in a guy like Tua, man, you know, he knows that he, he wants to be on point. He knows that he wants to be the, uh, a great quarterback in this league, and he's doing everything in his, in his power to do that and make it happen. Let's finish up right here with a question about his head coach, someone he obviously knows very well going back to their time together in San Francisco. Raheem was asked about how McDaniel approached the offseason, uh, if he obsesses over things that maybe he didn't feel like he got right in his rookie season. Here's Raheem talking about how the coach of this franchise, of this team, really kind of sets the bar for the accountability and the idea of trying to grow and improve every single day. So Mike, what, what's the beautiful thing about him is that you know he, he's going to look back at the season from last year he knows everything that he, you know, did that was, you know, not his best work, and then he's gonna readjust and do everything he possibly can to not make that same mistake twice. I mean, that's the saying that he uses a lot. You know, uh, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. And so, in year two, um, you know, being a head coach, I think that you're gonna see a lot of a lot of different changes with him, uh, more so dialing in on on different aspects of the game. Um, he's very intelligent, as you could tell. He understands the game a lot. And he's going to be working his tail off to make sure that he gets all the guys in the right position to win. So um, I, I know that from firsthand to seeing it, you know, when we was in San Fran together um, to now. He's just he's he's going to make those corrections and he's going to get it on the same page with everybody. All right, guys, we did it. You did it. We've arrived at the start of training camp. Next time you hear from me on the podcast, we'll be recapping a day of practice with media availabilities and weaving in the stories of the day throughout the podcast here, breaking down some notes and performances and all that fun stuff here on what is, for me, the Super Bowl of the season for podcasting because I feel like training camp is where this show and where my work really kind of uh, produces its best 
version of itself. So have that to look forward to here. Uh, enjoy doing the roster preview there. If you have not had a chance to go back and listen to all the episodes, kind of getting you ready for training camp and, and kind of giving you a feel for what might happen out there over the next couple of weeks and, and month here in training camp, go back and check out all those podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you have not done so already. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter, on IG, at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out my guys Seth and Juice on the Fish Tank podcast. I believe they're going back to weekly here pretty soon with the show every single Tuesday. Also, check out the team YouTube channel. The Walk and Talks are up there. Uh, Drive Time and Fish Tank content, media availabilities, Dolphins today, so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until tomorrow, at practice, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.